Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. next guest is Terry Eicholtz. She has 29 years of classroom experience from the K through 12. She has an MA in teaching and specializes in gifted and talented education, maker education, ed tech integration, and STEAM. She's worked for SAISD and NEISD in San Antonio, Texas, and currently consults, conducts professional development, and writes articles about education. She enjoys engaging all students, including adults, with hands-on, student-centered learning. Welcome to the podcast, Terry. Thank you. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. All right. So um, you can imagine in 29 years of teaching that I probably was in the trenches many times. But the first one that comes to mind was about eight years into my career, Um, Maybe it even started a little earlier than that, probably seven years. I was feeling very burned out. I had been at the same school teaching the same uh, grade level, basically teaching the same subject because we were departmentalized for most of those years. And I had taken on a lot of jobs at the school and um, it just was starting to feel like I needed to quit teaching altogether. And so um, I was actively searching for jobs outside of the profession. I knew a couple of my colleagues were going to be leaving and I felt like it was a good time for me to also look for something else. There was a teacher at my school who became a mentor to me early on and she taught the gifted and talented education program. And she had seen me do some model teaching in some of the classrooms. She had worked with me with some of the students we both serviced. And she kept telling me that instead of quitting teaching, I should try to become a Palau gifted and talented teacher. And um, I didn't feel like that was a good avenue for me to uh, Uh, consider because A, that position is very highly competitive in the district that I was in. And B, I didn't feel like I was qualified. You had to take a 30-hour course. And at the time, it was not offered for free. You had to pay for it. And of course, once you paid that $300, there was no guarantee you were going to get a position. So um, I kept putting off uh, considering that and instead just felt like I just needed to leave teaching altogether. And one day she called me and she said she knew of a position that was opening up and she thought I would be good for it. She was going to recommend me to the teacher who was leaving, who was going to help the principal look for someone to take her place. And um I decided, okay, let's go for it and see, you know, what happens. And I went to the interview as the very second to last day of school. I was dressed 
in jeans and a t-shirt because um, I found out at last minute that I was getting this interview and it was the day of our fifth grade skating party. (laughs) I went straight from the skating party to the interview. And I think um, part of my attitude was just, I'm going to do this, but nothing's going to happen. So I didn't really... I think make myself nervous because I really wasn't feeling like anything would come of it. Um, I got the job and then I, uh, and I was given the summer to take the training that I needed. So luckily they were, you know, okay with hiring me without the training at first. And it changed my teaching career completely. I went on to teach for 21 more years. So I was very close to leaving the classroom. And then suddenly just by pivoting to a new school and a new position, I refound my love for teaching and engaging with students. And it just changed my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that all took that mentor really to see that in you and you saying, hey, I'm not qualified. I don't want to pay the $300 but her actually setting up, like suggesting to that principal and the principal seeing that in you, despite, you know, not being dressed for the interview, but I think that was just where where you were meant to be for for 21 years. (laughs) Yes, that's how I felt. So um, yeah, it was one of those situations that, you know, there's these times in your life where you feel like you're supposed to go in one direction, but things keep prodding you in another one. And you just suddenly listen to the ones prodding you and you realize they were right all along. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens sometimes in the educational field. Like somebody else will see that in you that you don't see in yourself. Right. Right. Um, So talk to me about your work with consulting. Um, So you work uh, with a lot of companies regarding ed tech um, local school districts as well, and you present um, mostly in Texas at computer um, and ed tech conferences. So yes. tell me a little bit about the work um, that you're doing yes. now. To support- yeah, so that kind of grew very organically because I started sharing on uh, my blog post different resources that I found. Uh, and I started a blog that eventually grew into a website. And um Then I went to a couple of technology conferences, learned more about Twitter and got involved on Twitter. And I would tweet a lot of tech companies would contact me and see if my students wanted to pilot a new app or to um, uh, be involved in a Twitter chat about coding or so I started networking outside and just trying a lot of new things. And as I did those things and blogged about them, people started contacting me and asking me if I wanted to present about those. In the meantime, I was working gifted and talented and I would present at our school district meetings to all of the teachers. And so it just kind of, I had organizations that I was involved in early in my career and uh, just felt like, okay, you know, people again are seeing something, you know, they think is worthy of me pursuing. So I started doing that as I was still teaching full time. And uh, when I finally decided to retire, 
um, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And people found out I had retired and started inviting me to present more and do more professional development. So it just grew as people knew that I had a little bit more time on my hands. And um, I had built that reputation over all of those years of sharing resources on my blog and uh, the social networking. So that really helped as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was basically, like you said, organically just from uh, sharing on your blog really not yes. knowing where that was going to lead. And, you know, no. all these people <laughs> then, you know, getting involved in the Twitter chats, right? And then right. people wanting you right. to present. So that's really interesting how that, you know, second phase now that you've retired from the classroom is now like, this is what you're involved yes. in. And you hadn't really intended or seen it to be that that's how it's evolved. And um, you also talked to me about, uh, so you have on your website, work with Terry, uh, engagetheirminds.com. You have a lot of um, just professional development topics and mm -hmm. you also develop um, content. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that maybe you've uh, worked with districts on in, in terms of um, some of the content that they need most this particular school year, 22-23. So one of the ones that's become really popular is my harnessing hexagons presentation and right. uh, this introduces teachers to hexagonal learning and thinking and um the thing i think that appeals to a lot of um educators with this is that they can involve any student at any level in hexagonal thinking it's got an entry point for kids who can't read or write um, because you can use pictures and then it can also really be extended for students who are very advanced. It encourages students uh, to discuss and it makes the students feel comfortable in speaking because they know that there's no one right answer. So it's very open-ended and it can be used in lots of different subjects. So it's very um, uh, effective when you use it with kids because you're getting them involved. You know how difficult it can be sometimes to get students involved in conversations in class and it becomes very stilted and you have to give them question stems and prompts. But with hexagonal thinking, they just start talking and um, debating uh, where they want to place the hexagons, what the connections are. And so that's been uh, really uh, probably my favorite one to do. Then I also do some visible thinking strategies from uh, Harvard's Project Zero. And those also encourage a lot of discussion with students and higher order thinking. And one of the things that I was recognized for early on was Genius Hour. So I have a lot of Genius Hour resources on my website. Okay. okay. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. And this was a lot of just things that you were doing uh, in your classroom as a GT teacher. 
and yes. that you have blogged about and then you've um, now made it possible for these you know, teachers across, like you said, levels and subject areas to use the hexagonal thinking, correct? Right, right. Okay. So, and I also used it when I moved on to be a STEAM master teacher. Um, so that okay. was grades four through 12. And that's where I got a little bit more experience working with students at a lot of different ability levels um, in larger classes because the gifted classes aren't often as large as a regular class. So I was able to kind of test things out and see how they work, you know, in what many teachers would call a regular classroom. Mm -hmm. So mixed abilities. Yeah. Yeah, because um, even the hexagonal thinking, that's something I really wasn't aware of. So I'm sure people <laughs> who are interested in uh, getting some training on that can reach out to you. Uh, for yeah. more information or visit your website. Yeah. Um, so you talked about the writing of the blogs that you've been doing for quite some time. Uh, you're still writing blogs a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, do you write blogs for a particular company okay. um, or is it mostly housed on your website? And what are some of the topics that you've done um, in, in the recent, um, maybe just a recent blog post that you've written? So a lot of the blog posts that I've been doing recently have centered on using artificial intelligence with education. So my goal with a blog post is to give teachers um, a genuine, uh, non-biased um, sharing of a resource. So okay. if I find something, and this is not, I'm not hired by a company to do this, this is just my own you know, will that I find things that um, sometimes companies will send me something and say, hey, would you like to check this out for your blog? But most of the time I am writing things that um, I've just discovered on my own. And I know a lot of teachers don't have the time to be gleaning the internet for resources. So I try to share it with them and try to share with them the pros and the cons. So um, I'm not, you know, all like, this is the best tool ever. You know, I'm going to tell them some of the things that I see might be some uh, possible obstacles in using it in the classroom. Okay. Okay. Um, and then they um, tend to um, really, uh, do you have like teachers that will reach out to you then afterwards when they have uh, used this tool that they might have read about or maybe people that you've met via PD or conferences that'll then um, talk to you later about um, something that they've learned? Yes. So I will have teachers that do that. Um, they will often uh, either email me. I actually have a folder that I keep of good things and good emails that I've received just to, because sometimes it does feel like I'm speaking into a big void and nobody's paying yeah. attention, but then I get an email like that or a tweet or something on social media and I'll think, okay, this is helping somebody. Um, another, I do a series towards the end of each year called gifts for the gifted. And I, um, it's just like different recommendations of products that I've seen over the year that I think people might want to give as a gift, as a learning, like fun learning gift 
to um, a student or buy for their classroom. And I get a lot of feedback on those. People will say, I got this and my students love it. And um, so every once in a while I get that feedback, which is nice. Well, we've talked a lot about how you um, contribute uh, through your blogging and through your PD and um, the content that you're sharing now. Um, out of everything we've talked about on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I um, think that in my teaching career, there were times when I felt like I knew what was best and I wasn't ready to listen to what other people had to say. So I think that was definitely um, the lesson I learned from that out of the trenches story I told earlier. But I also think that we need to not be afraid of trying new things. I learned that a lot in my career and showing your students that you're trying something new I think helps them to develop a growth mindset as well. Um, so a lot of times I would learn alongside with my students. And I honestly think that helped me become a better teacher because not only was I modeling for my students the growth that I was um, experiencing, but also uh, we have a tendency to help our students too much and not uh, have high expectations of them. And when we're learning it alongside them, then we can't answer all the questions. And okay. so they have to try to figure it out and it helps them to become better problem solvers because I'm not enabling them as much. It's such a temptation to help them immediately, because that's what we're there for. But we want them to be better problem solvers. Oh, I totally get that today. <laughs> now that we see a lot of kids that, um, you know, need that extra help and need the redirection, right? And it's just like, you know, helping them find those resources, but then let, leaving it to them to, yes. to solve the problem, uh, you know, yes. without, without going through all the steps with them. Right. Uh, and that could be done at any level. Yeah. Where can yeah. people connect with you and find you online? All right. So I'm most active on my Twitter account, which is at Terry Eicholtz. And it's T-E-R-R-I-E-I-C-H-H-O-L-Z. And then my website is engagetheirminds.com. There's tons of resources for teachers, free downloads. Um, I have Wakelet collections for um, all kinds every month of the year of resources with activities and beginning of the year, end of the year, different topics. Um, I think I, I can't believe I haven't broken Wakelet yet because I have so many collections. <laughs> so um, yeah, lots of free things that teachers can find and download. Great, great. I'll make sure to put that information on in the show notes. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today and learning about what you're doing to serve educators. Um, thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. 
You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodyear.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodyear.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Thank you.